Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. We are going to continue in the book of Hebrews today. So last week we had our monthly Bible study and we, we, we began the book of Hebrews with the intention to finish it by Passover so that we would be in the right frame of mind for Passover, recognizing the greatness of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And uh, Pastor Murray mentioned that we have 135 days between now and Passover, so that's just a little over four months, and we have 13 chapters to get through. So we will take a couple of sermons and just have Bible study time in those uh, sermon periods. So today is one of those. For our guests, or those of us who were not here last week, we covered Hebrews 1, and in fact in the sermon earlier that day, Pastor Murray covered a big part of, uh, the first part of Hebrews 1, that says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son. And Pastor Murray just showed, beginning from Adam, all the different ways that God has communicated with man and through various people. And then also what I showed as I began the Bible study was many times God used angels to communicate the message to mankind. And the Jews, the Jewish Christians here, well the Jews period, but also the Jewish Christians here as we begin Hebrews, really elevated the role of angels and the message that came from these messengers. They saw it as something really special and they were beginning to doubt the message that came from Jesus Christ. So these supernatural beings who brought these messages to mankind, when they're comparing that and the message that they got to Jesus Christ, who was just a man. And not only that, he was crucified. A very shameful death. And now they were on the verge of being persecuted for their religion and were reconsidering their commitment to Christ and beginning to think about going back to Judaism. And that's how the book of Hebrews opens to show them that The message that came through Jesus Christ is superior to the messages that they received previously. So the messages they received previously were just the shadow. Christ is the fulfillment of all of these messages. And he was shown how Christ is superior to the angels. And that's how we we concluded with chapter 1, seeing that Christ is superior to the angels. And now we come into chapter 2 which begins with therefore. So because of everything covered in chapter 1 and the status of Christ compared to the angels, therefore. But before we begin chapter 2, what I'd like to do is just take you to Luke 24, just a scripture that I saw here, that will just put a little more context around the book of Hebrews. Luke 24. Beginning in verse 25, this is after Christ's resurrection, where he says in verse 25, speaking of Jesus Christ, Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. So again, in many ways and at many times, God spoke to our fathers, the Hebrew fathers. He didn't speak to the rest of the world, just the Hebrew nation. In many ways and at many times, he spoke to them. And now Christ is saying, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, again, God spoke in many ways and at many times, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So all of these scriptures are pointing to Jesus Christ, and they couldn't see it. So Christ himself went through all the scriptures to show them that they speak of Jesus Christ. Now when we're coming to the book of Hebrews, I mentioned last week, it's a letter, but it's more like a sermon. So they call it a sermonic letter. It doesn't open the way the other epistles do. He just gets right into this word of exhortation. And it's a, a sermon that is an expository sermon. So Paul is not just, and we also covered who is the author of the letter, it's, it's unknown, but I explained that I believe it is the Apostle Paul, despite what the scholars believe. <laughs> but here in this uh, word of exhortation, he is going through all the scriptures, just as Jesus Christ did, and he's showing them how all the scriptures point to Christ. So the Jewish Christians here are believing that Christ is a weak human compared to the supernatural angels. And what Paul is showing them here is that actually, Christ is the Son of God. And compared to the, to the angels, the angels are a distant, distant second. And so this message is coming directly from the Lord himself. So let's begin then with Hebrews 2, and verse 1, where it says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And the Greek here says, Dia tuto de perisoteros praskathene. And this word, peristosteros, that's what they're translating, pay much closer. And then the word proskatein is attention. So, peristosteros is the pay much closer. Look at Galatians 1. Where the same word is used by Paul. Talking of himself. <coughs> Galatians 1 and verse 14, where he says, And I profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Paul took his religion seriously. And he says he was ex not just zealous, he was exceedingly zealous. And that's the same Greek word here, parasoteros or Parasoteros. He was exceedingly zealous of the, of the traditions of his father. So Paul understood what commitment was. And he was fully committed when he was a Jew, and fully, even more so committed when he became a Christian. And he's saying to the, Jew, the Jewish Christians here who were beginning to think about apostatizing and abandoning Christ, he's saying to them, we have to be exceedingly zealous in the attention that we pay to this gospel message that's been brought to us. Paying much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And I think the King James says, um, let it slip. That it's not something that you wake up one day and you apostatize. You abandon the faith. It happens gradually. You're just not paying attention to it. You're neglecting it. You're not, you're not in the Word. You're not feeding on the Word the way we should. And that over time, Satan gets in. And the lights and distractions of the world become more attractive. 
Well, here these Hebrews are having their lives threatened, and suddenly Christianity doesn't look as attractive as it did before. And they're beginning to lean back. And I think Paul is accusing them here of not paying attention. That had they been exceedingly zealous, they wouldn't find themselves in this condition where they're thinking of reneging on their commitment. Verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. And remember, Pastor Murray covered last week, God spoke in many ways and at many times through the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. By his son. His son is the one who's communicating the message to us now. And here in verse 2, if the message declared, and and the argumentation is always this, going from the lesser to the greater. If, If this is true, how much more will this be true? So the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. And every transgression or disobedience proved a just retribution. And I'm sorry, I just had a scripture here I wanted to take you to in Galatians. And I think I didn't open the latest verse here, but I think it's Galatians 3.19. Let's just quickly see if that's it. Actually, it is. Let's begin in verse 18. Galatians 3 and verse 18. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, speaking of Christ. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So this is where we get the understanding that the law came to the nation, the Hebrews, by angels. It says right here. So there was a, they, this, this message of the law came to them through angels. Let's go back to Hebrews now. Whenever we leave Hebrews 2, please put your finger there, because we're always coming, coming back to it. Hebrews 2. So this message was declared by angels, and it proved to be reliable. And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Let's look at that just retribution now, an example of that, in Deuteronomy 17. Again, keep your fingers in Hebrews 2. We'll be back. And I know for our Bible studies, we we have them interactive. So what I'll do is I'll I'll do the study, we'll do the chapter, and then we'll open it up for Q&A at the end. So if you have any questions or comments, uh, if you could hold them to the end. Deuteronomy 17 and verse 2. If there is found among you, within any of your towns, that the Lord your God is giving you, and I'm reading from the ESV, a man or woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, in transgressing his covenant, and this is what Hebrews 2 is speaking of, that this word proved reliable, and disobedience to it received a just retribution. So if they transgress his covenant, and has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, or the sun, or the moon, or any of the host of heaven, which I have forbidden. So the law has been given, and if they deviate from it, here's the retribution. And it is told to you, and you hear of it, you shall inquire diligently. And if it is true and certain that such an abomination has been done in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has done this evil thing, 
And you shall stone that man or woman to death with stones. So this was the penalty for violation of the law. You shall stone that man or woman to death with stones. On the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. So shall you purge the evil from your midst. So let's go back to Hebrews 2 now. And this is what Paul is speaking of, that this message came, it was delivered by angels, and it proved to be reliable. And any time it was transgressed, it received a, trust, a, a just retribution. Verse 3. How shall we escape? So this is, this is what would happen if they abandoned the law. How shall we, Christians, escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. So in these end times, God has spoken to us by His Son. And this salvation, this phenomenal salvation, was declared first by the Lord. And we saw that in the Gospels, where Christ came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. He brought this great good news of the kingdom of God. And it was declared first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. And this, by the way, uh, I mentioned this last week, it is on the strength of this verse that modern scholars dismiss Paul as the author of this book. Because Paul himself says he received the gospel directly from Christ. He didn't receive it from any man. And here the author is saying that the gospel was declared first by the Lord, and then it was brought to us by those who heard. So they're saying that this couldn't be Paul. But if again, if you go right back to verse 1 of chapter 2, he's saying, therefore we, Hebrews, must pay close, must, much closer attention. So he's including himself with the Hebrews. And the apostles brought the gospel to the Hebrews first. And Paul was among those who rejected it when it was brought to them. Eventually, God dealt with him directly, and he repented. And he then took the gospel to the Gentiles. And I think it's this misunderstanding of the covenant, that the covenant is for Israel. And, and Paul was selected to bring the Gentiles into the covenant. But the covenant is with the Hebrews. It's with Israel. And so Paul's including himself with the Hebrews. And he's saying he himself is not thinking of apostatizing. He's not thinking of turning his back on Christ. But yet in verse 1 he says, if we, and we must pay closer attention, because he's a Hebrew. And as a Hebrew, the apostles attested it to us. So the Lord came, he taught his disciples, those apostles then came and brought it to the Hebrews. Verse 4. So I think that's dealt with very clearly, that that does not negate Paul as the author. Verse 4. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders. So, so Jesus Christ spoke, the apostles then took it to the Hebrews, and God himself, the Father, bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So God endorsed the teaching of the apostles. And let's look at Acts 2 to see this. Acts 
Acts 2 and verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And so the apostles were teaching them and they, they were accepting the doctrine. And in breaking bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. So 3,000 souls were added, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. So their preaching was backed up by the miracles of the Holy Spirit, the gifts that they were given. Let's go back to Hebrews 2. So God himself bore witness by signs and wonders. And then verse 5. And again, Paul is completely, what's the word I'm looking for? He's completely neutralizing the credibility of the angels compared to Jesus Christ. So the Jews know that their scriptures came by these messengers, supernatural messengers. And that's who they're upholding. And Paul is coming along and saying, nothing compared to Jesus Christ. That Christ himself has delivered this message. Verse 5. So again, negating the credibility of the angels compared to Christ. For it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come. So this whole gospel message about the kingdom of God, the world to come, it's not being put in subjection to the angels of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, and again, it's expository. He's going into their scriptures, the, the, the Hebrew scriptures. And he's saying it's been testified somewhere, and we know that this is uh, Psalms, Psalm 8 by King David. What is man? In fact, just the first part of Psalm 8, he says, before he says, What is man? He says, When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. So angels are part of this creation. So all, when he considers the creation, what is man? that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him. So they're looking at Christ, this man who was crucified, comparing him to these supernatural angels. And now Paul is taking out of the, their own scriptures, where it says, what is man? Yes, he was a man. But what is man that you're, you're so mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him. And now he's comparing, he's using their scriptures to compare man to the angels. You made him a little lower than the angels. So yes, the angels are greater than man. And this being became a man. He was a completely human, Jesus Christ. And as a human, he was temporarily less than the angels. You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. So yes, he was a little lower, but now he is crowned with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. So, so using their scriptures, he's showing them that the angels are inferior to Jesus Christ, even though Jesus Christ was a man. That the world to come and everything is being subjected to Jesus Christ. And then he goes on. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. This is Jesus Christ. Nothing is outside of his control. 
fact, he says at the end of the Gospel, all authority has been given unto me. At present, okay, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But what do we see? But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So, so yes, the crucifixion was horrible. Yes, it was shameful. But that's the reason for us to glory in Christ, not to turn our back on him. So they're looking at this and saying, you know, he, he did have a message, but they crucified him. You could never do that to an angel. And what Paul is saying to them now is, that's the whole point. That's, that's the whole point. He's crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste the death for everyone. For it was fitting, it's appropriate, that he, this is God, the Father, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder, or the captain, of their salvation perfect through suffering. So now he's showing this whole mechanism that God has to take men and make us glorious. That it starts with Christ. God becomes a man and dies. And that is our access for us to become part of God's family. So he's showing it was necessary for a little while that this being be lower than the angels. But in lowering himself, he becomes greater than the angels. Because everything now comes into subjection to him. So it was fitting. This is appropriate. Verse 11. For he who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified, the Greek is agiazon kai oi agiazomenoi. So agiazon and the agiazomenoi. So those he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are one. This uh, translation says all have one source. I'm not sure if the King James does it say one family or just one. Just one. I think the King James is a better translation. That they're all, we're all one. He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, we're all one. We're the same. We're, we're, we're a part of the whole. That's what it's saying here. And that is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Because we're all one. We're, we're human. He became human so that he could, make, he could sanctify us. And now we're all one. We're, we're one with Christ. saying, I will tell your name, and now again, he's quoting the Hebrew scriptures. So it's like when Christ showed them in the scriptures everything that pertains to him. Now the apostle is showing them from the Hebrew scriptures everything that pertains to Christ. And so here he's saying now in verse 12, so he's not ashamed to call us brothers. Well, where did he call us brothers? So he quotes now this uh, Psalm 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Let's go to Psalm 22 and see where he's drawing from. Psalm 22. 
begin in verse 16. So, I will tell of your name to my brothers. Let's see the context. So, when, when he quotes the scriptures, they will know the context. They, they understand the context that it's coming from. So, let's look at the context here. Psalm 22, verse 16. So, who, who is he speaking of? For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. So they would understand, when they're reading this scripture now, they would see very clearly, this is speaking of Jesus Christ. They've pierced him, his hands and his feet, he can count all his bones, they divide his garments. They understand exactly, this is speaking of Christ. And then in verse 22, this is where he's quoting now. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him, and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised, or, and this is the important part now, even though he didn't quote it, they would understand. He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. So yes, you're about to undergo persecution, but this being understands it. He's been through it, and he will not abhor you for the affliction. He's been through it. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. So they will fully understand this, that Christ went through it, and now they must go through it. And they must depend on Jesus Christ. Uh, Psalm 18 is next, so if you can go to Psalm 18. And in Hebrews 2.13, so after Hebrews 2.12, he says, I will tell your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. And then in verse 13 he says, I will put my trust in him. And here he's quoting from Psalm 18. And again, he just has to quote the one line. They understand the context. So we have to go and see what is the context of Psalm 18. Verse 2, when he says, I will put my trust in him. Psalm 18, beginning in verse 1. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. So they have enemies coming that are persecuting them, and he's putting them in mind that Christ trusted God, and we must now trust Christ. Verse 4, the cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my uh, my cry to him reached his ears. And dropping down to verse 16. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out from many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy. And from those who hated me, For they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my support. 
He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. So even though Paul just quotes the one verse, they would fully understand the context. That here Christ himself was in this position. He depended on God and God delivered him. So even though it looks hopeless, even though it looks bleak, and yes, some of us may lose our lives, we have to trust God, just as Christ did. And then verse 20. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. And this is again, he's warning them not to become wicked, not to turn their back on Christ, but to remain righteous. And the Lord will deal with you according to your righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and this is the context now, and have not wickedly departed from my God. And these Christians, that's what they're on the verge of doing, wickedly departing from God. And Paul is reminding them, you've got to remain faithful. No matter what, trust God. And again, going back to Hebrews 2, uh, we're going to go to Isaiah 8, which is where he's quoting from. So he's first he quoted in verse 2, and Hebrews 2.13, I'll put my trust in him. I'm sorry, Hebrews 2.12. I will tell your name to my brothers. He was quoting from Psalm 22. We saw that. Then he said, I will put my trust in him. He was quoting from Psalm 18. We saw that in the context of these psalms, these scriptures show, Christ was under intense persecution, but he never stopped trusting God. And God delivered him through that persecution. The Jews have to put themselves in the same frame of mind. That regardless of the persecution that's coming, we have to remain trustworthy. And, and faithful to God. So now he says after this, another quote, Behold, I and the children God has given me. So not only does he call us brothers, now he says we're children that God has given him. Where did this come from? This, he's quoted from Isaiah 8. So let's go to Isaiah 8, 18. And I think after this I'll just pause and we can have a bit of uh, interaction and then I'll, I'll continue. Uh, so Isaiah 8 verse 18. It says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me. That's what he was quoting from. Let's now look at the context of this quotation, of this scripture, beginning in verse 13. The Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. So they're afraid of the persecution. It looks like uh, it's the Emperor Nero who's putting Christians to death. And that's what they're afraid of. And that's why they're thinking of going back to Judaism. But here, what, where he's actually quoting from, when he says, Behold I and the children God has given me, he's saying, Let God be your fear. Don't fear men. Be afraid of God. Let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So it's actually Israel is being unfaithful here. And many shall stumble upon it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. So the very nation of Judah, they're going back to Judah. But Judah rejected Christ. And they're saying... They will be, or, or Christ will be a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. 
and many shall stumble upon it. Verse 16, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. So it's no, longer the, no wonder the Jews could not understand it. It was sealed. And it was sealed just among the disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. So, so Paul just has to quote, Behold, I and the children the Lord has given me. And they understand right away the context. And here's the context. That I will seal the teaching among my disciples. And I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. So you're going to turn your back on Christ and go back to the temple and go back to Judaism and these people have rejected Christ. And they've rejected him because it's been sealed. They, they do not have access to the truth. So they will be going backward. And I will hope in him. Now, now the verse, Behold I and the children whom the Lord has given me. Notice this. He didn't quote the rest of it. We are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts, who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? So, so Israel is unfaithful, shouldn't they be inquiring of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the, and this is it now. To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no light. So Paul is completely speaking according to the scriptures. That's all he's doing throughout the book of Hebrews. He's showing them scripture after scripture after scripture, according to the law and the testimony. And those who will not preach these scriptures, there's no light in them. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. They will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. And that's exactly what they're doing. Rejecting Jesus Christ. And turn their faces upward. And then verse, then let's go over to chapter 9. Continuing this thought. So verse 22 says, They will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Continuing the, the text. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. So we need to understand that persecution is just for a while. And so she was in anguish, but then there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, drop down to verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So if you understand the scriptures, you understand that persecution is just for a while. That yes, we might be in darkness, but if we're faithful, we will, become, we will come into the light. Yes, uh, we might be in deep darkness, but now a light has shone on us. And then drop down to verse 4. For the yoke of his burden, and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. So anybody who oppresses God's people, God has the ability to take care of that. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. You don't have to be afraid of these people. God can take care of this. Why? For to us a child is born. Scripture that Landon read earlier. To us a child is born. Yes, he had to become a man. So when he says, Behold, I and the children God has given me, they understand exactly what text he's pulling from. 
And throughout all this persecution, this has to happen, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Paul is completely cornering them. There's nowhere for them to turn unless they just say, yeah, we're just too weak. We're just too weak. He's just showing them completely, yes, Christ had to come as a man. But this is who this, is who this man is. He's the child that shall become the Prince of Peace and the King in the Kingdom. So let's go back to Hebrews 2. And this section began then after coming out of Hebrews 1. And this is another indication that it's it's the Apostle Paul. Because throughout his epistles, what he does is he, he gives teaching, he gives doctrine, and then on the heels of the doctrine he gives instruction. Because now we understand this, this is what we must do. So Hebrews 1 is the instruction, telling you the difference between Christ and the angels. And then Hebrews 2 is what you should do about it. So Hebrews 2 is, we must pay much closer attention to this this message that was delivered directly from Christ. And not turn our back on God. And, 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 And this is the first of five warnings. So he's saying, you know, if the message that was delivered by angels, people would be stoned to death for violating that message, how much more punishment for rejecting the message that came from Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let me pause here before we continue then in verse 14 and uh, get your thoughts, comments, questions on what we've covered so far. We're all on the same page? Yes? Yes, Brother Ray. Yeah, could it be possible that, uh, because later on in, uh, in uh, chapter 3, it talks about uh, those who are fallen in the wilderness, and they fell in the wilderness because of their unbelief. So if, if these are true believers that Paul is talking to, it's almost, it's almost talking to them like they don't believe. Because later on, he talks about Symbolically and spiritually, today we don't we wouldn't enter the, the rest of the promised land and kingdoms if, if we're uh, unbelievers. Yes. So exactly right. It's, it's to deal with belief, but don't think that again that among the Hebrews, Polish is writing to the Hebrews to say, um, <coughs> I know there's different categories of Hebrews here. There's some who believe, and there's some who don't believe, and so I'm talking to those who believe. I'm not talking to those of you who don't believe. That's not what's happening here at all. As a group, they're floundering. In the face of persecution, there's doubt, and they're floundering, and they're thinking of retreating. And so he's writing to all of them, and he's saying, look, don't think that just because we're Hebrews or Christians that we can take for granted our salvation. We can't. And so in chapter 3, he says, remember, and again, he's just constantly using the scriptures. 
So he uses the scriptures to show them, look, our forefathers, who were promised the promised land, it was for them. They came out, and they were to come into Canaan, the promised land. And it was theirs. And God was angry with all of them. And he put all of them to death, except for two. So don't take this for granted. Don't think once saved, always saved. Just because you're in the covenant doesn't mean you'll fulfill the promise. So if it happened to them, and that's the same thing it says here in chapter 2, if the message that was delivered by angels had such severe retribution if you, if you violated it, how much more if you violate this? So he's here trying to get them to wake up because they're neglecting. They're, they're not as zealous as they should be. And that's clear from verse 1, that they're not as zealous as they should be. And so he's saying, look, smarten up. Smarten up. Again, with Paul, with the Corinthians, I had mentioned it earlier, if there was ever a congregation to just say, I give up. I've done all I can. Corinth would be it. And Paul never gave up. He just kept working with them, working with them, patient, patient, using everything God had given him so that he could save, save them. And Corinth eventually did repent. So it's the same thing here with the Hebrews. Paul's mindset is to save them all. He may not, but his mindset is to save them all. It's not that some are, are preordained to be uh, destined to destruction. No, these are Christians. And he's here doing his utmost to save them, to get them to wake up and, and, and recommit and face whatever persecution. And that's what we're going to actually read next. It's a hard thing to stare death in the face. And, and we can all say here that, you know, even if they threaten me with death, I'm not giving up my salvation. And then somebody holds a 45 to your head and says, you know, you have to declare that Allah is God and Muhammad is his prophet, or I'm blowing your brains out. Well, you know, Muhammad's beginning to look a bit attractive yeah, now. You know? Exactly. That, that's, that's the other side of it, that uh, human weaknesses that way can and that's, that's what this is. This book is about human weakness. That, that's very good. That's exactly what this book is about. We profess a certain faith, but we are weak. And you know what? Jesus Christ became human, and he understands that weakness. So rather than apostatize, call on God. Because he understands. He was there. And we're going to actually cover that in a bit. Okay, let's, let's actually cover that now. Verse 14. I just I find it fascinating how Paul is using the Hebrew Scriptures to show them the very thing that they don't want to believe. He's using the Scriptures to show them this is the truth. Christ is the truth. And we must accept Christ. Verse 14. Now this is exactly now Ray, what we were just talking about. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. So he's trying to get them to understand that yes, angels are greater than men. And yes, angels brought messages to the Hebrews. But this man that brought the gospel of the kingdom, he is greater than the angels. And you need to understand this. So, but he had to become a man. And so here it's saying, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, so we all share in flesh and blood, he himself, although he was God, 
likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. And that word actually means nullify. So, so Satan has this power over us because we all want to be alive. None of us wants to die. None of us wants to suffer. So the moment our flesh is at risk, we, we, we react the way human beings react. And so this, this, this death, this power of death is over us. But he partook of our flesh and blood so that he can neutralize this power that Satan has over us. That is the devil. And deliver all those, all, not some, all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely, and again, he's dealing with this concept they have in their minds that the messengers, the angels, are the things, are the ones to listen to. And he's just saying, the message that the Lord brought is superior. For surely, it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. So the promises were made to Abraham, and we are his offspring, and Christ came to help the offspring of Abraham, not the angels. So he has to partake of our nature. He has to become like us in every way. Therefore, verse 17, he had to be made like his brothers, this is it here, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. So we're dealing with human weakness here, and he had to become weak like us so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. And this is the first time that Paul introduces this notion that Christ is high priest. And he's going to deal with this much more thoroughly later. But he introduces it here, that Christ has become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And they would understand that through the Feast of Atonement, that the high priest, every year, would have to make propitiation for the people. Okay, This word, like, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, is the Greek word homoioio, homoioio, and it means to make alike, to cause to be like or resemble, to be made like. So God had to be made like us in every way. To be, we, we use the word homo, homogenous, the same. Okay, so he's the same as us. And then the word become, so that he might become, is the Greek word ginomai. And it means to come into existence, to be created, to produce, to grow into. So he wasn't a merciful and a faithful high priest before. But by becoming weak like us and suffering like us, this is in this process. That's why it says he became perfect through suffering. It's not that he wasn't perfect. It would be better to say he became complete through suffering. So now he is the, the ideal, the complete high priest for us because of what he went through as a human being. And we'll see that in a, bit, in a bit. To make propitiation, and it's our first uh, 
merciful and so become a merciful and a faithful high priest. So pitiful, compassionate, he understands, he's been through what we've been through, and uh, faithful. So he will be dependable for us. This word propitiation, the Greek word pelaskamai, it means to appease. So, so God is angry with wickedness. Christ is our propitiation. So that wrath that God has for the world and for all of mankind, for our wickedness, it is appeased by Christ's blood. He's our, our propitiation. Verse 18. So it's through this process, by becoming like, so they can be dealing with this angel's concept that they have in their mind. There's a message that came from supernatural beings. And oh yeah, there's this message that came from a, a weak human who was actually crucified. Message from weak human who was crucified. Message from supernatural beings. You know, I think the message from supernatural beings looks superior. And Paul is completely crushing this. Like, get this out of your head. So he had to become like us in every respect so that he could become not just a high priest, but a merciful, a compassionate and faithful high priest to make propitiation for us. So, so this, is, this is our confidence, what Christ went through to become our high priest. That we can go to him and he will go to God on our behalf. Verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, and this word would be better translated tested, so when he was, he was suffered when he was tested. He suffered when he was tested. Because of that, he is able to help those of us who are being tested. So persecution is coming now on the church of God. If we don't profess Allah to be God, we're going to be beheaded. I'm telling you, if that was the threat that we were facing, we would be sweating. This is not a picnic. And, and Nero was half insane. And the type of persecution that he was subjecting Christians to, you know, you have nightmares. And what he's saying here is, Christ went through this as well. And so because he had to suffer, and, and that suffering was a test for him, a test of faithfulness, he suffered. So the fact that we are second-guessing and we're beginning to think, is there a way out of this? And if I just go back over to the temple, Judaism is a sanctioned religion. So I'll go back to Judaism. The persecution will pass. I'm not going to get killed or my family. That's looking attractive. Well, Christ went through this. If there was another way, he would have taken the other way. In fact, let's look at this in Luke 22. Luke 22. And let's begin in verse 39. Speaking of Christ, he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. 
and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. He's being tested here. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. I will subject myself to your will. I, if there's another way, can, you know, I don't want to face this. So if we could find another way, let's do that. But I'm going to trust you. And this is exactly what Paul is asking the Hebrews to do. Yes, if there's another way, God can find another way. We, we read these scriptures earlier that he can deliver. But if not, you have to be willing to go through whatever you have to go through. So he says, if there's another way, please remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, this wasn't easy. This wasn't, okay, time to be crucified. This was agony. He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He suffered. Just the psychology, the psychological suffering of knowing what he was going to go through. Even in that state, he suffered. Let's go back to Hebrews 3. Sorry, Hebrews 2. Verse 18. So this verse, this word suffered is the Greek word pasco, and it means to endure evil. To endure evil. To suffer. To be affected by a thing. So this persecution is coming on the Christians, and Paul is saying to them, Christ had this too. He went through it. And so he's a faithful high priest. And he, if you're weak, if you're second-guessing, he understands that. And then the word tempt is the Greek word pepanthen, and it means to make proof, to put to the proof. So they're being tested. Christ was tested as well. And he was faithful. And so now, these Hebrews are being tested. They must be found faithful. The Bible in basic English says, For having been put to the test himself, he is able to give help to others when they are tested. And that's what we're looking for here. Let's just uh, conclude beginning uh, the next chapter, just so that the, the whole thought stays together. So, Chapter 2 began with therefore. Because of everything in chapter 1, he says therefore, and then he gives them a very stern warning. Do not wickedly depart from God. Stay in Christ. And after giving them that warning, he says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in this heavenly calling. So this is no simple calling. This, this is the gospel of the kingdom. And Christ calls us brothers. We share in this calling. So therefore, consider Jesus. You're thinking because of the great persecution that's coming on you, that you want to renege your faith and go backwards. Consider Jesus. And he's called here, the Apostle. So he introduced him as a high priest already. So it says, the Apostle and High Priest of our Confession. 
But this word apostle means sent, one sent. So we say angels, but it means messengers. So the angels are sent. They're sent with a message. And now he's calling Christ the apostle, the sent one. So you're, you're really hung up on the message that came from the supernatural apostles, you could call them. They're sent ones. Well, this is the sent one, the Son of God. And we're, we're partakers in this holy calling. Who was faithful to him who appointed him. So Christ said, if there's another way, you know, let, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, your will. He was faithful to him who appointed him. Just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. So now he's transitioning to his next round. We, we were talking in the youth study about lawyers and how precise they are. Uh, Paul is taking a very legal approach. It's like a, a, a case that he's, he's, he's bringing to the Hebrews. And he's bringing this case to show, in, in no uncertain terms, you cannot get away from the fact that this gospel message has come from God. The Son of God himself. And it is superior to anything you've heard. In fact, it fulfills everything you've heard before. And there is no way you can back away from it. So I've shown you he is superior in every way to the message that was brought by angels. Now, you speak of Moses. Okay, let's deal with Moses. So round two now is basically to knock out Moses. So first he knocks out the angels. So you have no defense there. Now let's deal with Moses. And so he begins to introduce this now. He says, for Jesus has been counted, sorry, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. And so we know in Exodus, that's how he is described. One is faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And so now he's going to show them how. And, and the Jews revered Moses. And certainly the Jewish Christians revered Moses. Too. The, the law came through him, the Mosaic Covenant. And now he's going to show them that, yes, Christ is superior to the angels. He's also superior to Moses. And after every exhortation, uh, after every um, doctrinal, I should say exposition, there's an exhortation. And, and there are, gonna, we're going to cover five of them. And they get increasingly severe. So this is a very, very serious crisis. Which again is why I think Paul, even though he's the apostle to the Gentiles, because the Hebrews were in such a crisis, this is why now he's writing, even though he's the apostle to the Gentiles, he's writing to the Hebrews. Because they are about to turn their back on Christ. And he's convincing them. If you do this, you are completely lost. You can go back to the temple and do those sacrifices they mean absolutely nothing. It is the sacrifice of Christ that matters. So I'll, I'll stop here, but before we conclude, I'll just again open it up any any comments or questions on what we've covered. I see a hand trying to raise there. No. <laughs> okay, well hopefully that's helpful, and again we'll just go through this verse by verse, and what we want to do is get use this the whole New Testament, uh, the epistles, are what are called occasional letters. So something happens 
You know, we saw in Corinth that they were rejecting the resurrection. And that triggers Paul to then deal with the resurrection. And so we get this doctrine expounded in detail because people were rejecting the resurrection. So here now with the book of Hebrews, there's a lot of doctrine, a lot of good teaching here that we can apply today. But the context is the Hebrews were on the verge of rejecting Jesus Christ. And because of that, Paul penned this letter. And so it's interesting, we, we need to have the context and understand why these letters were written. And then once we understand that, how can we apply it today? And so as we move into the Passover, we want to make sure that we are completely, completely committed. And again, if we could just review the one, uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. To apply to ourselves today. It was spoken to the Hebrews 2,000 years ago, but we must apply it to ourselves today. Therefore, because this message, as Pastor Murray mentioned last week, it's brought to us by his Son directly. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention. And, and the word is really translated exceedingly close attention. So this is something that we must be completely consumed by. Because we understand who this message is coming from. And we're partakers of this heavenly calling. This is big. There's nothing bigger. For me, I just I hope my kids and your ch- all the children here really understand what we're a part of. What we're a part of. This life is going to pass like that. And a new world is going to be here. And we are going to be part of this supernatural force with our pneumatic bodies, spiritual bodies, ushering in all mankind into the kingdom. This is a holy, holy calling. And we have a great and holy high priest. And that's what we'll cover through the book of Hebrews. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.